Legally Vocal from Aperio with Nicholas Dadamar. Conversations with key players in the legal industry. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of Legally Vocal. I'm Nino Dadamar, the founder and CEO of Aperio. For this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Benjamin White, founder of Crafty Council. As fellow ex-corporate lawyers turned founders, we have a fair bit in common. And in this episode, we covered everything from bringing joy back to the in-house legal community, the impact our early days in private practice had in our businesses today, and why Ben is getting festive with glitter soon. Anyway, without further ado, I hope you enjoy. So with me in the virtual studio today is Benjamin White, founder of Crafty Council. Welcome to Legally Vocal, Ben. First off, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, Nino. Well, first of all, thanks very much for having me on Legal Pleasure. Vocal. What, what a privilege to be on your podcast. Um, so in brief, my name is Ben. I'm the founder of Crafty Council. We're a community for in-house lawyers, and we also have a thriving, I would say, uh, media arm as well. So we're a community come media company uh, in the legal sector focusing on in-house. Um, and my background is that I was a practicing lawyer. I started my career at Clifford Charts. I was a corporate lawyer there not to round a clicker charts for about seven years before moving in-house. I worked for a company that not many people would have heard of, I suspect, on this podcast called Global Fashion Group, which is a holding company for a bunch of fast fashion e-commerce websites uh, around the world. Not UK, but in, in other markets around the world. I was there for a couple of years and started Crafty Council as a side project, uh, well as an in-house lawyer, and then left to pursue the entrepreneurial journey. And I've been doing this for a few years now. As a fellow kind of ex-lawyer, uh, I know the journey well. And then in terms of Crafty Council, you, you know, you describe uh, the organization, sorry, describes bringing joy, insight and connection to the in-house legal professionals. Can you tell me a bit about what joy means in this context and why that uh, specifically is important to you? Well, it's actually quite an important word for us. So when I very first started Crafty Council, I had this feeling that there was a disconnect between a lot of the way that lawyers were sort of portrayed in public, uh, in the media, perhaps, and actually lots of the lawyers that I knew. And I found that that a lot of the sort of uh, portrayal can be a little bit po-faced, perhaps quite, quite serious. And lots of, I don't know, stories about um, focusing on partners at law firms and uh, their profit per equity partner, how much money they were making and all this sort of stuff. And I found that that was missing, actually, a lot of the joy that uh, the lawyers I knew were really taking in what they were doing. A really, although working very hard, yeah, sure, that gets talked about, but really taking great pleasure in the work that they're doing um, and solving really tricky problems and creating value for the businesses that they work in and for their clients. And I thought there's something here that we should be capturing that spirit and energy, why people really, really care about what they're doing and, and bringing that into what we're doing at Crafty Council. So that word joy has been with us the whole time. And I think it really speaks to actually how we do things now. We're a very joyful community, quite celebratory. Um, we try to bring people together and have a bit of fun. So yeah, it's important for us. Fantastic. And uh, I can attest to your cupcakes often seen at various uh, legal tech uh, events, which are very good <laughs> and joy, full of joy as well, as well as sugar. And so is that why you chose to describe Crafty Council as a community rather than a sort of, you know, corporation? Yeah, so um, a community is a word that's being tossed around quite a lot at the moment. So it seems to be quite popular in, in many circles. Community, there's a bit of a backstory here. When I started Crafty Council, and particularly when I left GFG to start doing it full time, we'd started creating videos for in-house lawyers. 
And I was very, very focused in the early days on building that sort of media business. And I was really, really thinking a little bit narrowly, I think at the time about, um, I was going around telling people that I was building like Netflix for in-house lawyers, right? Um, yeah. And what happened is that at the beginning of COVID, we got a little bit of traction, but we held, because see the pandemic coming, we were in that, those awful first days of lockdown back in March, April, 2020. And I thought, crumbs, it should probably work out if we're on the right path with this. And so what we did, the small team that we had then, we got together a bunch of people over Zoom who were um, kind of early fans of Crafty Council. And we asked what they thought of what we were doing, what they thought of the direction. And the really interesting thing was that we got very, very consistent feedback. And that was, they were saying to us, they use this word community, the very specific. Um, I remember several people saying, we think you are building a community community for in-house lawyers um that's what it feels like that's what the brand sort of seems to connote you've managed to pull all these people together to be in these videos and you've had the odd attempt to like we had a launch party for our sort of video uh, series and lots of people came and the message from these feedback sessions was that's actually the thing that we want we th you've it looks like a community but you're so focused on this video product that actually you may have missed a trick here. I remember someone saying, we think you're a community, so start doing community stuff. Um, you should be bringing people together. You should be having events. You should be not just on broadcast um, with your videos, but you should be creating more of a platform where we can all share ideas and be part of this as a bit of a movement. And that was a real light bulb moment for, for, for us. Literally, the early fans of Crafty Council were saying to us, Build, build this community, please. Please do it purposefully. So that's what we sort of took with and ran from at the beginning of 2020. Um, and it was in response to this uh, group of in-house lawyers who were a bit like how I was when I was in-house, feeling a little bit disparate, spread out across all these different organizations, often in quite small teams. And there seemed to be this real visceral yearning for something to bring everyone together, um, such that people were literally telling us um, stop focusing so much on this video thing, start doing the community stuff. So that's that's the background of the community. And we still do the videos and so on, but we sort of flipped it. So our content now is very much supporting what we're building as a community rather than the content being being the focus. Yeah, so that's how it came about. We were, we were the community said, <laughs> build it. And so we have been. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a funny thing. I mean, certainly the business that I set up uh, many, many years ago bears very little resemblance to the one that it is today. And uh, it was, it was, I think customers were probably trying to tell me for a while which direction to go in, but it was only when I started actually listening to what they were saying. But um, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's so hard because it's, it's sort of, uh, it's sort of your baby and, and you think it should be this way. But in fact, there's probably, uh, you know, it, it's sort of relying, well, getting the customer feedback. It's wonderful kind of Eric Reese lean startup stuff. It's like, listen to, you know, get out uh, and listen to the customers and, and, and kind of iterate according to what they're saying. And it sounds like that's exactly what you've done. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. But you're right. It, it requires, it's hard as a founder to do it. So I sympathize with, um, clearly we've both been on, a, on parallel journeys with this. And speaking of babies, I understand you recently added another one. Is that correct? Well, yeah, recently, everyone said this to me, but it was actually 20 months ago. I think it just goes to show how quickly time has flown, particularly in this sort of COVID, post-COVID world we're living in. But yeah, we have three kids. So um, an eight-year-old daughter, a five-year-old daughter, and a 20-month-old boy. 
Ah, congratulations. And does, does that then uh, change anything in terms of work and work-life balance? And, and obviously you had two kids already, but uh, you've reset the clock, as it, as it were, on, uh, on, well, getting any sleep, basically. Yeah, I mean, it felt like madness. We were just getting out of really early mornings and we'd left nappies behind in the buggy and so on. And now we're, we're right back in all of that stuff. Um, 5.30 start this morning, for example, which uh, unfortunately is, is completely par of the course at the moment. Um, I think it has sort of shifted my perspective a bit. I think a lot of parents probably feel that way. Um, we had our first, our first uh, while I was still at Clifford Chance, but um, becoming a parent was in the mix of uh, my thinking around what I sort of wanted to do with my career in general. It wasn't the only factor around leaving private practice, but it was sort of in the mix and uh, thinking about that work-life balance side. And certainly today, yeah, it does make me, it's hard choices every day, right? Like how do you want to, how, how to spend one's time uh, on the business versus with family and so on. Yeah, so I recently read a book on this, which I found quite helpful. So the book is called 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. So Nina, can you guess what 4,000 weeks relates to if you haven't read this book? Uh, is it the number of weeks that you're going to be paying school fees for? <laughs> well, I think yes, uh, but also <laughs> <laughs> it's also um, it's also our time on earth. So it's the average lifespan, 4,000 weeks. So the idea of the book is to address that. And it's a book about how we spend our time. And it's almost a sort of anti-time management book because um, the writer describes how he had read a lot of books around how to deploy one's time efficiently, but not actually that much which really addressed almost uh, one step back from that. So how do we want to spend our life on earth? Um, what is time well spent? Is it about just cramming in as much as possible into every hour or is it actually how do you want to spend those 4,000 weeks? I found I read that recently and I found that made me think a lot. And there's a lot in there around, I mean, some sort of like cliched things, but um, making sure you enjoy the moments and not living too much in the future. So uh, not sort of putting off too many things or thinking, you know, I'll do that thing when I've, when, when the biz, in, in my case, when the business is bigger or maybe won't have an exit or, um, what have you, but uh, actually trying to enjoy the time that you have now. So that's informed a little bit my thinking around time with kids, but it's easy to say it and actually living that is is harder when the, the days sort of tick by pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, and when they start when they start at 5.30. Yeah. Know, but is it really 4,000? Uh, but yes. Scary. It is scary when you kind of break it out like that. So but before we kind of go into some of the discussions about the legal world, um, what we normally like to do is to get some info on our guests that we wouldn't find on their CV with with five quick fire questions. So question number one, face to face or Zoom? This is a bit of a cop out, but both. And I'll explain why. I, I actually think the move to the cultural move where Zoom is OK for business meetings, I think is really helpful in the long run, because particularly for first meetings. Right. So yeah. sometimes just getting to know someone. Um, it reduces that friction of spending basically half a day traveling, going to an office, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, but I think face-to-face -face is really, really important. So particularly with a view to deepening relationships um, where you can meet face-to-face, -face, I think it makes a real difference. 
I, this is always the problem uh, interviewing lawyers is I think every question is going to be, you're meant to choose one, but uh, I have a funny <laughs> feeling you might say it depends and, and can I say both on every single one. But question number two, a lazy weekend or a busy weekend? I'll be more decisive. Lazy weekend. Podcast or playlist? Podcast. Snow or sun? Sun. I don't know who writes these questions. Sweet or salty popcorn? I Why? have strong, strong views. Salty popcorn. Always salty popcorn. I, I actually, so funny enough, I've made fun of that question and I feel really strongly on salty popcorn as well. I grew up in the States. Sweet popcorn wasn't really a thing, although it was in like fun fairs. You went to the cinema, you had salty popcorn. That was it. And uh, sweet popcorn, just, yeah, not my thing. Anyway, I didn't think I'd react quite so much to question five, but I did. Thank you, Ben, uh, for giving us a little bit of insight into your world. Um, so coming back to the world of legal, you know, you mentioned that you started your career as a corporate lawyer at Clifford Chance. How do you think your time there shaped you? And was there ever an inkling that, you know, you would step away from the big law firm? Or did you, I mean, put it another way, did you go there thinking like, right, that's it, I'm going to be at Clifford Chance or, you know, a another law firm uh, from now until partnership? No, I think I already, I actually always had an inkling that I would not be there probably all the way to partner. I, I was open-minded about it. So I was there for a decent length of time. I left at about four years qualification. And I, my, my friend of mine was, I'm not going to rule it out. I'm going to see what this is like. Not that, I mean, who knows if, if, if I would have had that opportunity. But I sort of went into it thinking, keep an open mind, but probably this is going to be a tour of duty and then doing something else and learning a lot and having a good time, uh, but probably not being a partner. Uh, but it uh, shaped me, I think, in in a lot of important ways. I enjoy my time there, worked with some really fabulous people, worked hard. It was definitely difficult at some times. I think I absorbed having very high standards. Also, a sort of, I think a lot of lawyers have this sort of obsession of trying to figure it out and like really having a sort of proactive mindset where you're given some ambiguous problem that not even thrown at you by a client, but the thing that you're working on, you 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 have a frame of mind where you realize, you know, in order to execute this transaction, actually, here's a whole bunch of things that we need to figure out. And you develop the mindset of being the person who takes it on and figures it out. I think that's been quite important um, to me in, uh, in the future stuff that I've done. So it was a very, very, very important um, time in my career. I had a similar experience. I would add uh, proofreading into that list of things that shaped me from the three years post-qualification I did, as I can spot an extra space or a typo from a mile off right, uh, to this right. day. But um, And then similarly to me, uh, after private practice, you know, you went in-house before starting your own business in the legal world. When, when did kind of crafty counsel as an idea, as a concept, start to form? Well, it was while I was at GFG. Um, as we talked about earlier in, in the podcast, Nino, the idea evolved a lot um, after I started working on it full time. But I think actually the DNA of the original problem I was trying to solve is still very much there. I found I was working in a relatively small uh, legal team and it felt, it felt a little bit, I enjoyed it and some great colleagues, but it felt a little bit isolating. And what I mean by that was this sense of we're trying to figure something out, whether it's a, an actual tangible legal problem or if it's more sort of operational thing, like how do we get documents signed in for internally? Do we do we print them and get them trot around to the CFO's office or 
is what do people do these days? Um, and I thought, you know, if only actually other people must have solved this before us. And there was just a long list of things which felt like someone else has probably solved this first. If only we knew those other people and could see into businesses just like us, um, that would be super helpful and would make a really big difference. Whereas in a law firm, you've got that ecosystem of every possible sort of practice area specialist around you. I thought it was a shame that for in-house, I didn't see so much that sort of ecosystem. And the other thing I saw was that uh, at the time I felt you could end up in a position in-house where you're very, very reliant on your um, outside service providers, particularly law, law firms. So you get the sort of client briefings about what was going on, but it felt a bit sort of strange sort of hub and spoke, like the law firm was kind of the hub and we were getting client briefings if we got on the right distribution list. And I thought, well, we should just be talking to the other in-house legal teams um, because actually probably the way that they approach it, all of this stuff is going to be a bit more relevant than some of the stuff we're getting from the firms. Yeah. And that also made me think, well, maybe there's a way we can help the law firms. Um, and looking back at you know, the client briefings I wrote when I was an associate, which some of which I know were never read, um, took many, <laughs> many hours. I thought there's something here. We could, there's, there's something can change where we can build something that's more for in-house and we can actually help the rest of the ecosystem at the same time. And what, were there any conversations or things like what was the kind of the trigger ultimately for you to take the leap? and go from GFG into into kind of setting up Crafty Council. Um, was it, you know, for me, uh, my eldest my was, my wife was pregnant and I was like, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it kind of thing. But w was there any kind of particular thing that eventually took you over the precipice? Um, I waited for a long time because I really wanted that to be like, an objective thing. I w partly this sort of risk aversion and um, other people's opinions. I wanted to be able to leave and do this full time and to be able to say to anyone who asked my parents for example objectively of course i should be doing this because this thing has happened which is so clear that um this is such a great opportunity and i should do it um the reality was uh, of course never that clear i've just been working on it for a while it seemed to have got some traction and i got to a point where i thought well it's kind of now or never and i was interviewing for another job and so and i got to the final round of that process and I realized that if I was, I would even talked about the fact that I had Crafty Council on the side and they were saying, oh, well, you know, you could sort of continue that as your hobby. And I thought, this is a bit mad. I, if I do this new thing, I need to actually really like run at it and um, probably give Crafty Council up. Um, or do I want to do that? Because if I've come this far with trying to build a business and I give it up now, I'm never going to do something like this. So that was sort of my thinking. It was this slightly strange external factor where I thought I've got to like either jump on this new opportunity or I should really give a go at Crafty Council and maybe opportunities like this will come up again. So that, that forced my hand a little bit in the end. It's funny. I wonder if this is a, a lawyer's thing and trying to de-risk because I too got I, I had a job offer and then I took it one step further and then it was exactly that same piece of like uh, you know like it, I, it was for an investment firm you know nice group uh and it was it was it was exactly if I don't do this now realistically am I ever, ever going to do it again and it was quite hard to you know to sort of say no um and to go and kind of take the leap and I think I'm not sure where my wife comes out on whether that was a good idea or a bad <laughs> idea but um I did it anyways. I can't change that. But um, yeah. and then um, 
coming back to the inner side, so what what kind of skills do you think that the in-house council need to develop to become more commercially minded and, and perceived you know, a little bit less like some of the old stereotypes of the traditional lawyer? I think it's a really tricky one because a lot has been said about this topic, about in-house lawyers becoming more commercial, more of a business partner, et cetera, et cetera. So let me make a couple of comments, but then I want to caveat it quite heavily. So I think a couple of things that certainly the in-house council in our community talk about are um, often the, the so-called softer skills. So things like empathy. So really, really standing in the shoes of the people who you're working with. Um, and you know, making yourself accessible, but really understanding their problems and trying to figure out you know, sort of where they're coming on on things. I think there's a bit in order to do that effectively. There is a technical piece to that as well. So I think having a solid grounding, if you're in a business, having a solid grounding in how the business works commercially is really important. So understanding how it makes money, um, and then really being able to sort of think about risk in that context rather than just in a sort of a legal context of where well, we might breach the contract, you know, really, really getting under the skin of um, what that contract is for and what margin we're getting on it and the overall strategy of the business, et cetera. So I think there's a there's an empathetic side. I think there is a, um, a slightly harder edge bit of technical skills that goes with that. But the caveat I want to make is that I think a lot is being, a lot has been said about this and you see this sort of lawyer as a business partner as, entirely the theme of uh, conferences for example sometimes which... yeah i was going to say i can think of about three where that's literally the title but yeah yeah exactly and you know it's there for a reason because lawyers have had this reputation of being sometimes you know not quite as helpful and a little inaccessible and the department who say no and all those things um i, I think the, the site word of warning is that we've also seen the last few years um this sort of creeping um awareness of some of the some some ethical scandals that have swept up some organizations including some of the lawyers in those organizations um and in some cases um some of the some people have pointed to maybe some of the lawyers involved perhaps internally perhaps externally slightly losing sight of what they're really there for um who's the client really does being business friendly mean being friendly with the CFO as opposed to actually looking after the interests of the business and ultimately its shareholders, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think that is, we have to hold those two things um, in our minds at the same time, the, the desire to be a business partner and to help, but also we're still lawyers um, yeah. and remembering what that means. Um, and uh, you know, that solicitor's regulated and uh, that whole piece of it. And that's quite hard, having that balance. Yeah, it is a bit of a, not a tightrope as such, because I'm sure it's, it's it's broader than that, but there's so much pressure to become the trusted business partner, to be more commercial. I think the contextual awareness of the commercial drives of the business makes you a better lawyer and all the rest of it, but equally, <laughs> you do have a role and you can't be completely the sort of, as you say, in, in the palm of whether it's the CFO or whoever else. Going back to Crafty Council, there's a rumor I've heard that is a special project that you're launching this year. Is that correct? And if so, tell us more. You're right, there is a special project. So um, on the 14th of June, we're launching our first sort of big event, if you like, it's called Crafty Fest. So with this nice. community, yeah, with the, uh, with the community side of what we've been doing, 
we we spent a couple of years now doing community meetups over Zoom, and that's been they've been sort of building up kind of behind the scenes quite quickly, and we've now got a lot of in-house lawyers involved across all these different um, sector groups, if you like. Um, we've got a group for lawyers and startups. We've got a group for in-house lawyers in venture capital and private equity. We've got a group for lawyers in listed companies, etc. Um, and then the sort of natural progression of that was as COVID allowed us to, in the second half of last year, we started introducing in-person events. Um, so we teamed up with Legal Geek on part of their conference last year. We ran a sort of Crafty Council session within Legal Geek. We also then started doing a series of dinners and breakfasts, and we've done a bunch of those now. Um, I think we've done maybe even 10 this year so far. Nice. Um, and so the, the plan is that we're going to keep doing these sort of intimate uh, breakfasts and dinners for 20 or 30 in-house lawyers at a time, and we'll keep running those, but also wanted to have a, a stake in the ground around a bigger event that we will do every year, and that's Crafty Fest. So the first one's on the 14th of June. We're in Regent's Park, um, it's actually sold out, so we've got more than 200 in-house lawyers uh, will be there. Um, we had to um, increase the ticket allocation because we uh, we sold out in the middle of May, um, so we released a few more tickets, um, and that's it's great. We're um, uh, it's sort of festival vibes on the lawns of we're 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 at Regents University, which is a private university at Regents Park. So yep. we've we've got basically a party happening outside with a band, with um, a barbecue and so on, big marquee. And then inside, we've got a substantive content program. So we've got the lecture theater at Regents University. And the theme that we're doing for the day is the life cycle of a company and how legal relates to that. So we kick off in the morning with a bunch of sessions on startups, being the first GC in a startup, moving through to being acquired, IPO, etc. We've got one GC whose fintech went bust. So he's talking about what that was like, being literally the last person to turn off the lights, fire everyone else, return funds to investors. Um, and then in the afternoon, we switch to enterprise topics. So um, we've got, for example, uh, Bupa are bringing their COO in conversation with their general counsel and head of legal ops, talking about, in a slightly larger company context, how legal and the business can work together. So that's the plan. I guess it's it's a conference, but done in a slightly different way. Bit of fun. Uh, our team keeps talking about glitter, glitter face paint. And I think that's now been said to so many people that I'm obliged to sign off on the glitter face paint. So, uh, <laughs> um, so, so that's, that's what we're doing. I'm really excited about it. That sounds amazing. Did you think when you, if you roll back the clock, sat in some late night work at uh, Clifford Chance on some uh, completion, you're like, one day I'll be putting on a festival uh, for lawyers, but it's a festival. Uh, so congratulations on a, a sort of uh, life dream. Well, nearly achieved, 14th of June. Um, I'd say buy tickets, but no one can anymore. But pester, pester Ben uh, and see if you can get a ticket. <laughs> Um, anyway. Yeah, there's, there's, there's been a bit of direct outreach to me already, so and I'm anticipating a bit more in the in the days to come. Well, I haven't even sent my thing yet, so yeah, uh, so yeah, Ben, I need a ticket. Um, <laughs> anyway, that sounds absolutely fantastic and and an exciting kind of evolution for Crafty Council. Um, I think you know you've made it when you have a festival. Um, but listen, thank you so much. We we come to the end of our conversation with Ben. Thank you so much for joining us on Legally Vocal. It's been a pleasure to hear about your experiences and learning more about the world of legal and media and now festivals as well. Thank you, Ben. 
Nino, thanks so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for the invitation to be on the podcast. Pleasure. We'll be taking a summer break from next month, but don't worry, we'll be back in your ears with fresh new episodes before you know it. Until then, why not dive into our archives of previous episodes on your podcast platform of choice? You can also find all of our episodes on Aperio's website or on the Legally Vocal page on LinkedIn. I'm Nino Dadamar, and thanks for joining us. Legally Vocal from Aperio. Join the conversation on LinkedIn or Twitter at Legally Vocal.